0: It's the World Wide Sports Radio Network. Radio, Network. Radio Network. Broadcasting from coast to coast. City to city, coast to coast. It's time for the Ryan Hickey Show. On the Worldwide Sports Radio Network. If it's happening in sports, it's being talked about right here. And here's your host, Ryan Hickey.
1: Good Thursday morning. Welcome in to the Worldwide Sports Radio Network. It is the Ryan Hickey Show with you here for the next two hours as we go to 11 a.m. Eastern, 8 a.m. Pacific, if you're up early with us here on the gorgeous West Coast. And we appreciate you making us a part of your Thursday morning because, my goodness. Gracious. Do we have a lot to talk about here between now and 11 a.m.? There is a ton, ton of NFL news to get to. Obviously, the big one coming down yesterday Aaron Rodgers, unvaccinated, tested positive for COVID. Now it's out 10 days. We'll miss this Sunday's game uh, against the Chiefs, which is a huge one. Come one, come all. Jordan Love will make his first start in the NFL on Sunday. I want to get into Aaron Rodgers' future and how it's impacted by Sunday's game. i will get into that in a quick second. Of course, it's a Thursday staple, Hickey's Pickies, coming to you this week at 9.30 a.m. So 25 minutes from now, we have Joe Deluisio, not only an Iona Gale's legend, professor, he is a diehard Packers fan. So figured he is the perfect guy to have on the show, chat about Aaron Rodgers, what he expects from Jordan Love, And then also get a few picks. It's been a tremendous, tremendous last few weeks for the guest pickers. Everyone is hot. We'll see if Joe can continue that trend. And college football playoff time, folks, it's time to expand. I'll tell you why. We'll do that all within the next two hours here. We hope you are a part of it, and we are glad you are a part of it on this Thursday morning. We are coming to you live from the Big Italy Pizzeria Studios, where it's Great Pizza, Hot Heroes, and Phenomenal difference. Make sure you check out BigItalyPizza.com to find a location near you. So I want to get into the big Aaron Rodgers news, but we're not going to parse out whether he was lying, whether he would technically tell the truth, whether it's you know immunization or, or vaccination. That was discussed yesterday. That was gone through the ringer. I would look at this from a different angle. How does Sunday's game impact Aaron Rodgers' future going forward with the Packers? Because I'll tell you this, I think Sunday's game, Jordan Love making his first start against the Chiefs will have a huge impact on whether Aaron Rodgers is in Green Bay next year or whether he's on another team playing for somebody else. Because I'll tell you this, this is is how I think it's going to go. If Jordan Love lights it up, those for 250 yards, 275 yards, 300 yards, two touchdowns, three touchdowns. If he lights it up and has a really good game against the Chiefs defense, a bad Chiefs defense, Aaron Rodgers is good as gone. He can already buy his plane ticket. He will be somewhere else in 2022. But on the flip side, if Jordan Love struggles, if he stinks, if he has a Justin Fields-like performance against the Browns, where he just has no shot, can't figure out a defense, looks totally lost and overwhelmed, I think there is going to be consideration from general manager Brian Gutekunst, team president Mark Murphy, to reconsider their plans and keep Aaron Rodgers in Green Bay long term. So it may sound extreme, may sound dramatic, but Sunday's game I think will go a long way in determining the future of Aaron Rodgers, whether it's in Green Bay, or whether it's elsewhere. Because I view this Packers Aaron Rodgers dynamic similar to how I view the Russell Wilson, Pete Carroll Seahawks dynamic. Because let's go for what it is. Last few years, Pete Carroll has taken Russell Wilson for granted. Hasn't really appreciated what he has. And I truly think if Pete Cowell, you know, kind of let pride get in his way, I think he would let Russell Wilson walk. And I think a trade and Russell Wilson would force his way out this upcoming offseason. And I think a similar situation, the, the same scenario can made in Green Bay, right? And we're kind of seeing it. Brian Gutekunst and Mark Murphy seem to be ready to move on from Aaron Rodgers. They have made peace with the fact that they're going to move on from a legend and usher in a new era with Jordan Love. So they, you know, obviously with all the drama that happened last offseason, Aaron Rodgers is back. But I fully expect this is Aaron Rodgers' last year in Green Bay, like a lot of other people do. But similar to Seattle, similar to Pete Carroll, the Packers don't have to wait for next year to see what their future with Aaron Rodgers looks like. Right? When Russell Wilson got hurt, Pete Kyle got a small glimpse of what life without Russell Wilson is like. And on Sunday, it's one game, it's a very small peak, but yet again, it is a peak into the future of what life is going to be like next year without Aaron Rodgers. And I do think if Love struggles, if he looks overwhelmed, if he just doesn't look like he's ready to play, I think there could be a legitimate changing of heart coming from the Packers front office in terms of maybe reconsidering hey, maybe we should keep Aaron Rodgers. This guy's playing really damn well. This is still a guy in his prime that's going to be an all-time great quarterback. Are we sure we just kind of want to rush him out of town and and usher in a new era of Jordan Love where we're not even fully 100% sure that he can be, you know, even 50% of what Aaron Rodgers has been? I mean, to continue the Seattle-Green Bay comparison, we are seeing that happen with Pete Carroll. After the Monday night game against the Saints, in which Seattle lost it almost two weeks ago, you had Pete Carroll almost making a mea culpa to, uh, to Russell Wilson, giving Russell Wilson a ton of praise, basically saying, hey, if it wasn't for Russell Wilson and all his success, all his greatness, I am not sitting here as a Seahawks head coach. All of my success, for the most part, has been because of Russell Wilson. When have we ever heard Pete Carroll talk like that? When have we ever heard Pete Carroll give that much praise and have that much appreciation for his franchise quarterback? Never. But guess what Pete Carroll finally realized? He saw what the other side of the grass is like. And guess what? It is not always greener. He saw Geno Smith, and you would think that, okay, maybe see how next year i have a better quarterback than Geno Smith. But he saw just really how great of a quarterback Russell Wilson is, and how many flaws he covers up for the rest of the Seahawks team. So all of a sudden, in just two games without Russell Wilson, Pete Cowell's changed his tune completely. And I do think now there's a better chance than ever of Russell Wilson staying in Seattle because Pete Carroll got a small taste of what life is like without Russell Wilson. and Now he's appreciative, and now I think he changes his tone just by the way you hear him in press conferences recently. And I think he will now go out of his way to cater to Russell Wilson to make sure that he doesn't feel upset and doesn't feel frustrated to the point where he will force his way out and actually get what he wants this time. So that's starting to happen in Seattle. And I think the same kind of reconciliation, if you will, can happen in Green Bay. Because let's also not forget this fact. Aaron Rodgers is not the one that wants out of Green Bay. He's not the one this past offseason that said, I'm done with this team. I don't like this organization. I don't like that coach. I don't like the front office. I want out. He was frustrated, similar to Russell Wilson, that his voice was not being heard. He wanted more power. He wanted more sane decision-making. Guess what? That's not ludicrous. That's absolutely the way it should be. Aaron Rodgers should have a powerful voice within an organization for how successful he's been and how great he's been as a quarterback. But he never said, I don't want to play for the Packers. I'm done. He just wants to feel respected. He wants to have his voice heard. And if he had it his way, I think he would stay in Green Bay the rest of his career. So he came back this year with basically not getting anything changed to his contract or anything changed in terms of his power within the organization. All that happened is got one year shaved off. Okay, congrats. I still think after this year he's going to be gone anyway. But, but now Green Bay gets to see what life is like for Aaron Rodgers uh, without Aaron Rodgers. I should say for one game, and if their tune changes and all of a sudden they realize, wow. Aaron is really damn good, and maybe this team is not as good as we thought because Aaron makes up for so many deficiencies that we can't afford this guy to go. If they change their tune, if Brian Gutekunst goes to Aaron Rodgers and says, you know what, I was wrong. The Jordan Love pick was a mistake. We need you. We want you to stay here. We will work out a new contract. We want you to be a Packer for the rest of your career. I think Rodgers is open to it. I think he's staying in Green Bay. I don't think he's that frustrated with the organization that he would leave anyway in terms of, uh, you know, in terms of spite. I think he's absolutely open to staying in Green Bay for the rest of his career if he has the opportunity, if he has the offer to. And I'll say this. A lot of pressure is on Brian Gutekunst this weekend. Because if Jordan Love struggles, right? If he, again, has a bad game, doesn't really play well, no one's really expecting him to go in there and win. But if he just looks dominated by a bad Chiefs defense, they score 3, 10 points, a few picks coming from Jordan Love. They don't move the ball that well. I'll tell you this. It's a really hard sell, even though it's just one game. It's a really hard sell for Brian Gutekunst to tell the fan base that at the end of the season, we're moving on from Aaron Rodgers for Jordan Love. For the only taste you've gotten of this guy was a bad game against the Chiefs. Even if it's just one game. I think that's a tough sell for the fan base to tell the fans, we're letting an all-time great walk out the door. We're going to trade him to wherever. We are ready to usher in a new era with Jordan Love. And oh yeah, the the memory burned in your brain is a bad game against a bad Chiefs defense. It's easier to sell the unknown of Jordan Love. He never played this year than it would be to sell the fact that Jordan Love played once and it was a bad game. So I do think, even though it's just one game, if Jordan Love struggles, I think these front officers will get second thoughts and they would really reconsider their future plans and maybe think about keeping Aaron Rodgers more than if he never you know, got sick and never had a chance to see Jordan Love on the field this year. On the flip side, though, I will say, if Jordan Love plays well, if he has a good game, if he looks comfortable, if he's making the right throws, if they're scoring points, even if they win or lose, if they're scoring 28, 31, 35 points on Sunday – you could kiss Aaron Rodgers goodbye. He is gone. There's no second thought about Aaron Rodgers saying he'll be on another team in 2022, guaranteed. Because Brian Gutekunst desperately wants to be right about the Jordan Love pick. He has heard criticism from everybody for the last year and a half. Jordan Love has been in one of the most polarizing draft picks in years. As soon as it was drafted, everyone's antennas went up. Everyone was shocked and we saw kind of the clock on Aaron Rodgers' career start countdown. down. This was a massive, massive move, a massive leap of faith, a massive risk by the Packers' GM. So if he balls out, Jordan Love throws for 300 yards, three touchdowns, do you really think Brian Gutekunst is going to trade Jordan Love this offseason after that? think he's going to go through all of the dragging through the mud all the criticism that he faced this past year and a half. And you think after one good game, he's going to sit there like, yeah, you know what, Jordan Love played great. We're still going to trade. We still want to keep Aaron Rodgers. No, there's no shot. Jordan Love plays good, pretty good, great. Aaron Rodgers is gone. Gudakun desperately wants to get this right. Any sort of success, any sort of Glimpse of this guy could be pretty good. You can kiss Aaron Rodgers goodbye. No matter what he does the rest of the season, he could win the Super Bowl. I think he will he'll be out the door. I think he'll be playing for a new team in 2022. So when you look at it from this perspective, I do think Sunday's game is going to go a long way to dictating the future of Aaron Rodgers, whether he's in Green Bay for 2022 and beyond, or whether he's on a new team next year. A reconciliation between Rodgers and the front office. Or really, having the front office get second thoughts about moving out from Aaron Rodgers is way more likely, way more feasible, if Jordan Love stinks. right? And now that you get to see him in one game, if he doesn't really play well, compared to if he just sat on the bench a whole year and just played mop-up duty. And if Love plays well on the flip side, give him credit. There's a 100% chance Rodgers is traded. There is zero shot he's back next year. So I'm curious your thoughts here. I'd love to hear more. That's on Facebook, Worldwide Sports Sports Network, Twitter, WWSRN underscore radio, at Ryan Hickey Show on Twitter as well. How much will Sunday's game impact Aaron Rodgers' future? Should the Packers trade him if Jordan Love plays well? Or should they reconsider if Jordan Love struggles? How much do you think Sunday's game against the Chiefs, how much do you think a, a Jordan Love's play will that impact Rodgers, his future, whether he's on the Packers next year or not. Love to get thoughts. Facebook, again, Worldwide Sports Network. You can tweet us at Ryan Hickey Show on Twitter. Also, WWSRN underscore radio. Tweet us. Write us on Facebook. We get your thoughts. And when we also return here, Hickey's pick is coming up in 10 minutes. Joe DeLavisio, Packers fan, host of the Sharp Cheddar Podcast. We get his thoughts on what he's expecting from Jordan Love and how much this game will impact his future thinking. But also, I'm sitting here telling you one game, will determine the future of Aaron Rodgers, meaning that you're going to make a basically a snap decision about Jordan Love. Either he can play, we'll keep him. He can't play, we'll trade him. Usually, if you know me, if you listen to the show, I am very patient when it comes to young quarterbacks. This situation is different. I'll tell you why I'm not patient when it comes to Jordan Love when the Ryan Hickey Show returns right here on the Worldwide Sports Radio Network.
0: It is it, the World Wide Sports Radio Network. Welcome back to the Ryan Hickey Show, right here on the Worldwide Sports Radio Network.
1: And welcome back into the Ryan Hickey Show with you right here on the Worldwide Sports Radio Network. Hickey's piggies in a few minutes here with big time Packers fan, host of the Sharp Cheddar Podcast, friend of the show, although he did point out that I haven't really been a good friend to him because anytime he comes on the show, it's usually... Always some negative Packers news. Last time he was on was the big breaking news day that Aaron Rodgers, uh, or the report from Adam Schefter that Aaron Rodgers wanted out of Green Bay. We got his thoughts on that, whether it's time to trade Aaron Rodgers or not. We both thought he would be traded. As we know, Aaron Rodgers has not been traded. But now we bring on Joe again in a few minutes because guess what? More Aaron Rodgers future discussions are in play this time because of Him testing positive for COVID, not being vaccinated, which means he's now out a guaranteed 10 days, which now opens the door for Jordan Love to start this Sunday against the Chiefs. And I'll tell you this, I do think Sunday's game will go a long way in determining the future of Aaron Rodgers. Brian Gutekunst and Mark Murphy, the GM and the president of the Packers, are ready to move on from Aaron Rodgers. They didn't even need to see a game from Jordan Love to trade Rodgers, move on, and bring in the Love era starting in 2022. Now they get a chance to kind of see what Jordan Love has. I'll tell you this: if he plays well, Jordan Love plays pretty well. The offense is moving the ball, win or lose. Jordan Love, you come away saying, "Oh, he had a pretty good game. He he showed you something." Rodgers, to me, 100% gone. Pack your bags, 2022. He'll be he'll be on another team. He could win the Super Bowl. He can run the table, not lose another game. If he shows you, if Jordan Love shows you the glimpses that he could be a special quarterback. With how much scrutiny Brian Gutekunst took, I think he is you know, going to be reveling in that and he will make the move to trade Aaron Rodgers to kind of be like I told you so. On the flip side, if he struggles, if it looks ugly, I know it's just one game. I think the front office for the Packers would reconsider their plans. Aaron Rodgers, I think, would be open to reconciliation and kind of staying in Green Bay for the rest of his career. I do think they would reconsider because it's a tough sell to the fan base. Even if it's just one game of Jordan Love struggles against the Chiefs, to at the end of the year, if Aaron Rodgers continues to play well, whether they win the Super Bowl, whether they get to the Super Bowl, or if another disappointing postseason exit, it's a tough sell to move on from an all-time great still playing great football for a guy who is an unknown to begin with, and the one start you had did not play well. I do think the Packers front office would reconsider their future plans with Jordan Love If he comes out and lays an egg, looks lost, struggles big time. So Sunday's going to have a big impact on the future of Aaron Rodgers, I do think. And if you listen to the show, you know that I am very patient when it comes to young franchise quarterbacks. they got to get time. they got to be in the right situation. They need, to me, have a lot of things go right for them to truly evaluate whether they could play or not. But with Jordan Love, I'm just telling you, it's going to come down to basically one game. The reason why for Jordan Love, I am basically not patient at all and patient with Trevor Lawrence, with Justin Fields, with, with Zach Wilson, is because the Packers are in a situation that no other team with a young quarterback is in. They have an all-time great quarterback waiting in the wings. That's their other option. It's either the young, unknown commodity in Jordan Love, or it's an all-time great quarterback in Aaron Rodgers. You look at the Jaguars with Trevor Lawrence, the Bears with Justin Fields, the Jets with Zach Wilson, the Patriots with Mac Jones. Their competition, the other option if you're not going to play them, is not Aaron Rodgers. It's not an all-time great quarterback. So if they struggle early on, if you don't think Zach Wilson is a guy for the Jets or you don't think Justin Fields truly can be a franchise quarterback in Chicago, you're replacing those young quarterbacks with Andy Dalton, with Jimmy G if you're trailing in San Francisco, and Mike White with the Jets. None of those names are Aaron Rodgers. None of those guys are coming anywhere close to the skill level of Aaron Rodgers. So you still have an all-time great quarterback still in the prime of his career where you're deciding between an unknown commodity in a young quarterback in year number two in Jordan Love versus an all-time great quarterback that still could play for you. For me, it's not, I'm not even making the decision. I'm keeping Aaron Rodgers if I was Brian Gutekunst and Mark Murphy. We know, though, that decision has been, already been made. There's, there's no reason to kind of cry or spill milk, if you will, at this point and say they made the wrong decision. We know they made the wrong decision, I think. But it's been discussed about millions of times. But now you got to look at where they are currently right now. And that's why if I'm you know the front office of the Packers, I am not shy. If, if Jordan Love struggles to, you know what, saying, we messed up. Hand up. I think it's easier to move on from Jordan Love saying you messed up, keeping Aaron Rodgers in Green Bay, than vice versa. Then kind of doubling down on Jordan Love. Trading Aaron Rodgers, he goes somewhere else, has success, and Jordan Love flops. Because again, these other teams are young quarterbacks. For the Jets, you had Sam Darnold. They didn't think he was the guy. Well, they moved on to another unknown in Zach Wilson. For the Bears, they drafted Mitch Trubisky number two. That didn't work out. They drafted another quarterback in Justin Fields. You're going from one unknown in a young rookie quarterback. If you want to get rid of him in two or three years, you're going to another unknown because you're drafting another young quarterback. The Packers are in a very unique situation, deciding between an all-time great quarterback in Aaron Rodgers and an unknown commodity in Jordan Love. That's why for me, I would not really be that patient when it comes to Jordan Love and when it comes to when it comes to deciding between the two, that's why. That is absolutely why. So, enough talking from me. You want to hear from an expert. I get it. So that's why we bring experts on this show, a man who, like I said, is not very fond of me because of the way that I have brought him on usually at the worst times, but it is a friend of the show. It is Joe DeLuicio, the host of the Sharp Cheddar podcast. We'll get his picks, Ricky's pickies here in a second. But Joe, thanks for coming on, man. I appreciate it.
2: Ryan, nice to see you. Thanks for having me on. As always, (laughs)
1: things
2: are falling apart in Green
1: Bay. I would never do that to you. I only only bring you on. That's the only thing you do here. I only bring you on when things are are good in Packerland, when morale is high. I would never kind of just bring you on when things are rough.
2: You know, I'm surprised you didn't give me a call after they lost week one. Radio silence since going on a seven-game win streak, but here we go. There's some drama in Title Town, so I'm glad to be here.
1: Well, to be fair, I mean, look, I did not expect that the struggles would continue. Now, I would, I did say I would raise the, uh, sound the alarm if week two lost to the Lions. They took care of business, no problem.
2: I would agree with that.
1: So, for that, I will say that, you know, I was not freaking out after week number one. So... I was just talking about, I think Sunday is a huge impact for the future of Aaron Rodgers, right? Jordan Love's going to get the start. Now we finally get to see what Jordan Love is. Aaron Rodgers' future, I still think he's going to be gone at the end of the year, but I think that could change if Jordan Love maybe has a pretty bad game. How much stock are you taking into Sunday's game, good or bad, about the future of Jordan Love and the future of Aaron Rodgers for the Packers?
2: I mean, I think it's everything for the future of Jordan Love. I mean, this is your chance. You could kiss preseason football snaps. Behind you, you could kiss, you know, off-season training camp snaps. This is where we are going to figure out what Jordan Love can do. And it's going, even though the Chiefs aren't playing their best football, it's going up against a reputable opponent, okay? And, you know, there's a good chance that we don't only see Jordan Love this week against the Chiefs. We may see him next week against Seattle. So you could get a, a, a heavy dose of Jordan Love. And if he performs and he plays well, you know the front office is going to be smiling ear to ear. Oh, yeah. You know they're going to be happy because every GM wants to know that their guy is the guy. On the flip side, if it's a disaster and they're just relying on Aaron Jones and A.J. Dillon and it's check down, then you got to really consider, what are, what are we doing here with Jordan Love?
1: So I am actually surprised that you're with me there because you're, you're I mean, I'm with you, right? Like I, I don't think it's too late to try to wreck it out with Aaron Rodgers. I don't think it's to the point where, you know, he is absolutely gone. But to your point, right, if he plays if Jordan Lowe plays well, Rodgers is gone, it's a, a, not a pride thing, but if Brian Kudukutz have sitting there for sure, puffing his chest out. And he'll never tell you, I told you so, but it would kind of get that that sense. So we're actually in the same page where Sunday will have a huge Sunday will we'll have a huge impact on the future of both Rodgers and Love. What are we expecting from the two? Do you want to save that for the pick? We have the, Rogers Chiefs, uh, the Chiefs-Packers game of the pick here. Do you want to save that for the pick? Or do you want to give a, a slight prediction now?
2: Uh, I mean, I'm going to be honest. What do I expect? I have no idea. I don't okay. think anyone could come out and say they have any idea of how Jordan Love is going to perform. There's just not enough tape there. There's not enough of anything to make a, a logical guess on how Jordan Love's going to perform. It is going to be, we're all watching him for the first time here. Mm-hmm. Now, and going back to to, to Rodgers, this goes all the way back to the front office's decision to bring Jordan Love in. Mm-hmm. right? Because they shouldn't even be thinking about what's next based on Rodgers' play. Bottom line, Rodgers did not show any, any sign of decline the season that which... Packers decided to draft Jordan Love. Okay? right. So they did this on their own. With that being said, we've seen quarterbacks have one good week, two good weeks, and fall apart. So I don't think we could automatically say, hey, if Jordan Love plays well against the Chiefs, he's the guy. I mean, we just saw Mike White completely light up (laughs) the bank. Could he be a starter one day? Sure, maybe. Like, but let's pump the brakes here, right? I don't think we need – we can automatically determine, yes, Jordan Love is that guy after one game. However, you will – there will be a sense of confidence that now you know, hey, maybe he can be that guy. Right. But but for Rodgers, it's just – I don't think we should just push him away. There, there's there's no reason to do that. And I know it goes back to, oh, people, you know, the, the Favre and Rodgers comparison when he took over. Far was already talking about retiring. Mm-hmm. That's not the case here. I could guarantee if, if Rodgers is traded and goes elsewhere, he's going to perform where he goes. Absolutely. And, and, and that's the tricky part about this situation where if I'm the Packers and the front office, pride aside, you've got to realize what you have and the consistency that you have. And you can't just ship him out of town after one good game.
1: I would agree, but I mean look, the facts are the facts this. Like, I don't know, like, do you expect Rodgers, Rogers, forget the forget Jordan Love playing. If you if he didn't get one snap, don't do you expect Aaron Rodgers to be back with the Packers in twenty twenty two?
2: Well, I think the way everything is playing in playing out, the whole contract being redone, I think the writing's on the wall that he's out.
1: I would agree. Which is why, like so if they're ready to go to Jordan Love blindly without even seeing him play. To your point, I think that only strengthens their stance if he plays well. I, I, I'm with you 100%. It's one game. I'm not determining his future based on one game. But I think if you're, you know, with this such small sample size, when you're the Packers already blindly ready to move on from Aaron Rodgers to go to a guy you've never seen before in the regular season, I think that only strengthens your stance if he plays well. And vice versa, I do, I do think it will bring some doubts or maybe give you some second thoughts if you're Gutekunst and Murphy saying, huh. Ah. He looked overwhelmed. The Chiefs defense is not good. Are we sure we truly want to move on from Aaron Rodgers? This is a big risk. I think that's the only way they second guess their thought is by seeing him implode on the field.
2: I'll be honest. I think if the Packers ended up winning the Super Bowl, Rodgers doesn't leave. Interest. I, I don't think he just walks off and goes to another team and, you know, gives the giant middle finger, walks out of the door.
1: Well, the issue is it's not his decision, right?
2: Correct. I, I totally get that, but. I don't think, as an organization, you could just move on like that. Especially if it ended that way, that's mind-boggling to me. That you're—it's just the fan base there is so loyal that you would look so foolish if you would just come off a winning season, a Super Bowl season, and then move on to who knows what what the future could be.
1: You're preaching the choir, Joe. I I can't like I'm with you, and the issue is I think a lot of people are on the same page with this. The only issue—the two people that dissent are the two people that are actually making the decision—and Murphy and Brian Gutekunst. That's that, that's really kind of the issue. It's you know it's two versus let's say a million, but the two people are the most important people. Even Aaron Rodgers, I think he wants to stay, but even you see him if the Packers don't want him, he doesn't even have have a choice.
2: Of course, and now and you, you've seen, and it's a shame now. Obviously, COVID is playing a role as if this team hasn't had enough drama. Right in the injuries already, COVID before Aaron Rodgers. Things things are clicking for this team, mm-hmm. right? The the veteran pieces, Devondre Campbell that they ad, they added, Rasul Douglas coming up big last week. Things are clicking, and and you could only hope that they get better once your star players that have been missing games come back, like Jair Alexander, like David Bakhtiari, Zadarius Smith. Like it feels like there's so much good that's going on. And a lot of this has to do with what Rodgers does on a week-to-week basis and him, you know, hey, let's bring back Randall Cobb and look how that's playing out, right? He's not s- stuffing the stat sheet, mm-hmm. but at times when he needs to make plays, he's making plays. Yeah. You know, so it, it's just, it's, all, it's really frustrating because bottom line, we don't know what the future is at all. And obviously not in our hands, but to me, it's hard to move on from a guy that hasn't declined one bit. It's it's like a perfect example, a team that held on too long, the Pittsburgh Steelers. Yes. Right? They have no plan now.
1: Well, if their plan might be your quarterback next year. I don't know. Maybe, but <laughs> what, what I'm
2: trying to say is, and I know you don't want to, you never want to be that team that waits, that's looking when, you know, you don't have somebody, right? You right. don't want to be late to the party. It's always good to have somebody sitting there. If he has to sit there, if Jordan Love has to sit, let him sit. Let Rodgers play out his
1: time. Well, the issue is that you know that's with the rookie contracts work. It's too long. It's too long. Of
2: course it's too long. But you know what? Then that's on you as a general manager. I agree. An
1: organization. Have a plan. You
2: shouldn't have brought him in. You shouldn't have brought him in. Have a plan. Now, if you wanted to draft a, a quarterback in the third round, it's completely different than drafting a quarterback in round number
1: one. And trading up. <laughs> and trading up. <laughs> that is very, very, very true. This will be. I am fascinated to see how Sunday goes for sure. Um, it was going to be a, a lot of fun. And to your point, it will. I think go a long way to determine the future of Aaron Rodgers and the future of Jordan Love. Joseph, are you ready to make some picks?
2: I mean, I think I am. I have no idea though. You throwing some college games. I mean, I'm going to be honest. Iona doesn't have a college football team. I haven't watched much college football this year.
1: All right. Well, that's okay. I'll tell you this. Good news is a lot of the pickers that have come on recently have not really done well with with college football or don't really know a lot of college football, but it doesn't matter because they're doing well. Not to put any pressure on you, but the last few pickers, my my friend Rooks went six and one last week. He's currently in first place. My other friend went four and three. Greg Caserta four and one. My other friend Joe four and one. There has been what is it four straight weeks of celebrity guest pickers going over five hundred. So
2: and and where have you, how have you been doing?
1: Uh, around 500. My season, my season record is, let's see, 25 and 20, 25 and 20, which actually is a lot better than, than last year for sure. But I, I got off to a hot start and now we're just kind of teetering around 500, which is what I'll take. Which is what I'll take.
2: I'll help you out here. I'll help out the record.
1: I like that. I like that. Well, I'll say this. It's smart for you to pick against me. That's gone really well so far for a lot of the, uh, the pickers. So let's go into your weakness, Joe, the two college games that you know nothing about, but guess what? Who knows anything? Number 13, Auburn, going on the road to College Station, taking on the number 14 team in the country, Texas A&M. The Tigers of Auburn are getting four and a half points on the road. Can they keep it close or go with the Aggies here?
2: Oh, give me the Tigers.
1: Tigers. I think Tiger I think, King over here.
2: I think Tigers win by double and I Wow. Mean, I'm saying, I'm saying at, least, at least 10 points.
1: At least 10 points. Forget the cover. Take the four and a half and shove it where the sun don't shine. Joe is going on the road. Domination. All in
2: on Tiger King. Give me the Auburn Tigers.
1: I have some bad news for you. I am in agreement, actually. Now, I'm not telling you that they're going to go in there and win by 10 points. I think it's going to be a very close game. I don't really, I don't trust Texano. I still don't think they're a very good team. Auburn is extremely battle-tested. They've won some tough road games I think they continue the trend and win this game. So, Alexi, you went first. You didn't know where I was going to go. Do you want to change your pick, or do you want to stay with the Tigers?
2: I'm, I'm, I'm staying with the Tigers, because if I get it wrong, you're getting. <laughs>
1: <laughs> he is locked in. We'll go to the second and final college game. A big surprise, one of the biggest surprises in college football, undefeated Wake Forest. That's right. Undefeated Wake Forest coming at number nine in the first college football rankings are underdogs. On the road at unranked North Carolina, the Demon Deacons are getting two and a half points. Joe D., where are we thinking here?
2: Is this a college basketball game or a football game, you're asking This
1: is football. No, no hoops. No hoops.
2: I'm just making sure. (laughs) I, I mean, I know when I think Wake Forest and UNC, I think college hoops, not college football. Um... Wake is in the top ten, huh?
1: They are undefeated now. You go through their. The ACC stinks, so it's not like they've had exactly some big wins, but they are undefeated.
2: How the heck are they getting points here?
1: That's Vegas. Maybe knows something we don't. I don't know.
2: Vegas knows something. I'm going UNC. (sighs) Smart man. I'm going with the blue jerseys, the white and blue. Give me UNC, plus two, undefeated in the top ten. Something is superficial there
1: smart man you always kind of look at that and raise your eyebrows you're also a smart man because you're going against what i'm going i'll take the demon deacons i will go down you know the rabbit hole i guess call me a sucker you're giving me two and a half points unc is is sam Howell and nothing else their quarterback is great the team stinks i i i know exactly what's gonna happen i think this is a noon game so new we'll know very early as well when it's like 40 nothing carolina early on that this pick was bad but I will go down the trap. It's a trap door. I will go in and I'll just lead myself to to a loss, but I'll take Wake Forest on the road plus two and a half.
2: When UNC scores, they're a tough team to beat.
1: (laughs) That's the analysis we bring you on here for.
2: I'm telling you, I'm not the only one saying it. (laughs)
1: Hey, Vegas is listening to you. You're not listening to Vegas. Vegas is listening to you in this game. Smart man, Carolina, two and a half point favorites at home. We'll go to the NFL, something you are comfortable with, something you're familiar with. We'll get to your Packers game in a second here, but big AFC North battle, Browns and the Bengals. Browns are two and a half point underdogs on the road at Cincinnati. Obviously, we know their injury history. We know the drama with Odell Beckham and his dad this week. This to me, Joe, is the toughest game to pick. I still haven't even made a decision yet. Who are you going with?
2: Yeah, I think anytime you're you're talking about divisional battles, it's always a coin flip, especially mm-hmm. uh, in the AFC North. Um, With that being said, I'm going with the Bengals. I think the Bengals bounce back after, you know, the whole Mike White fiasco against the Jets. And I think right now for Cleveland, and it sucks to say, but I think Cleveland's in complete disarray. I think the whole Odell Beckham thing, the injuries, and after watching a full game of the Bengals going up against the Packers, man, this team is really good. This team has a lot of potential, and I think they could win outright no issues against Cleveland.
1: I'm with you here. I'm going to go with the Bengals. To your point, I know, I'm sorry. I know. I know. But watching that game last week against the Steelers, I really thought like that was going to be a, almost a gimme. I would have sat Baker Mayfield to be honest. Like That's how confident I felt in the Browns. They're getting a little bit healthier. The Steelers' offense stinks. And yeah, the Steelers' offense still stunk. but the Browns' offense couldn't do anything. And I think now the drama just even leads to more distraction. I, I thought they would have turned around last week. They did not. And now I just... I love the brands. I want to root for them, and I want to see them succeed. I just I can't sit here and tell you that they're going to go on the road. To your right, coming off uh, uh, on the road in Cincinnati, coming off a team or face a team coming off just an embarrassing loss to the Jets. I think they'll turn it around. The Bengals are healthier. The Bengals are better. They'll score more than the Browns. I think the Bengals minus two and a half at home. I'm sorry to agree with you. We'll go to your team. Packers and Chiefs. No Aaron Rodgers. Jordan Love is under center. The Packers are seven and a half point underdogs. In Kansas City. Now, the Chiefs stink. Can Green Bay go on the road and get a cover here? Or are you picking the Chiefs?
2: I'm going to go with the Packers. Plus You're st- I think sticking I, with your boys. I am sticking with my boys. I think it's a lot of points. I mean, the Chiefs aren't as strong as they were. It's clear as day. They just struggled against the New York Giants and Daniel Jones. They did. Okay, so i would like to think that the game plan on sunday is going to be relying on the combination of aaron jones aj Dillon, and a lot of short in front of you know short plays for jordan love i don't think they're opening up the playbook for jordan love. um we just went and we just saw an nfl week which featured mike white beating the Bengals, trevor simeon beating the bucks yes sir cooper rush and the cowboys beating the vikings I'm going to take my chance. My chances with seven and a half points.
1: Absolutely. All right. So you're going with the backup theme, carrying from week number eight into week number nine. Week number eight that you mentioned was the week of the backup quarterback. Three backups coming in there and getting a win. I will not go that. I think week eight was the week of the backups. Week nine, where things get back to normal. I get the Chiefs offense. It looks very lost right now. At home, You basically got a bone thrown your way. You are struggling. They are reeling right now. No Aaron Rodgers is one of the biggest gifts you can get. I think the Chiefs can capitalize enough, score enough, to where they will cover the 7.5 at home. I don't think Jordan Love will play horrible or even play that bad. But right now, I will, I guess, keep on banging my head against the same wall and keep on thinking each week the Chiefs will figure it out. They'll, They'll find a way to get it going here. It hasn't really come to fruition so far, but I will roll with the Chiefs against a backup quarterback at home Minus seven and a half. So you're welcome for going against your team. It's a guaranteed Packers cover. Probably even a Packers upset win right, at, uh, right out of the gate there. If
2: that's the case, you just took the words out of my mouth. To take the Packers <laughs> money on. Yeah.
1: And the final pick in NSC West battle, the Cardinals at the 49ers. The 49ers, I just saw this yesterday, had the second longest home losing streak at seven games only behind the Lions. The Cardinals are one and a half point favorites on the road. JD, where are you going?
2: Yeah, I'm taking the Cardinals one and a half. Yeah, I, I think it's pretty simple. They're a much, much better team, much better team. I don't care what the 49ers did last week. They played up. They played Justin Fields and the Chicago Bears. Um, take that with a grain of salt. I think Kyler Murray and company. That's a talented team. I mean, that's a team that's going to be there in the playoffs. Um, that's a team that should take care of the 49ers relatively easily.
1: Got a wake-up call from your boys last week. I think that kind of did shake them up a little bit. To your point, I'm with you. It's very simple. Cardinals are the better team. I think they'll bounce back in a big way. 49ers are still in flux. A lot of injuries there. I think they will not be able to figure it out. I will take the Cardinals minus one and a half on the road. The upset special, Joe. Any spread, five or more. The underdog covers you at one bonus point. They win outright. They get two. Rooks, my guy, last week got a straight-up outright win. Patriots over the Chargers. That's how he leaked into first place with those two extra bonus points. So where are you going this week? What underdog is going to raise you to the top of the rankings? Oh, the Packers. Doubling down. I love it. Double down the
2: Packers. Absolutely.
1: Wow. All right. Packers plus seven. Are you feeling a win or are you feeling a cover? What, what is your Honestly, better I'm feeling?
2: feeling? A, I'm feeling a cover. Okay. I, I think I feel, you know what's scary? I feel too comfortable on a cover.
1: <sighs> oh, boy.
2: I feel too comfortable on a cover, which means they're getting blown in.
1: That is, I will say, anytime I feel confident in my teams like that, it, like almost not like to an arrogant point, but it's like, oh, this is like a definitely close game. That's when well, usually it, things go well, the other way.
2: Here's the thing, it, it's a it's a coin flip, right? Because if Jordan Love plays well, then wow, great. Right? Mm-hmm. You, you know, you cover and you, you may have a future quarterback. Who knows? Um, but if he plays terrible, then it's like, you know, the de- Green Bay's defense isn't isn't bad they're, they're playing pretty well and again you keep Patrick Mahomes off the field which is doable you know eight points is a lot in the NFL this isn't college football
1: it is it absolutely is so I like that you're doubling down on your boys not only taking the Packers to cover in the picks circling back in the upset special to take them plus seven and a half against the Chiefs I will go back to college football I will go a revenge game here Hugh Freeze is the head coach of Liberty he is making his vaunted, his big-time return, his much-anticipated return back to Oxford to take on his old team in Ole Miss. Liberty is getting 10 points on the road against the Rebels. Both offenses can score. I don't think Liberty is going to win the game, but I think they can score enough with Malik Willis. Maybe that's a quarterback the Packers might take if they like him again. You know, They'll just keep on drafting first-round quarterbacks. That's a guy really maybe. Not the Colts
0: in that
1: <laughs> okay? It's not great. Well, I'll tell you this. If they lose tonight, there won't be much worrying about the Colts because their season is, is totally cooked. So and then
2: you should start thinking about a quarterback. How about
1: that? Then I'll start rooting for Malik Wills. Sunday, Saturday's game for Liberty may mean that much more, depending on how tonight goes. But Malik Wills, Liberty offense can score. So can Ole Miss. I think Hugh his return has a few tricks up his sleeve, have a few fireworks. Close game. Liberty covering the 10 points, I think, at Ole Miss. So, Joe, we we agree on a few picks here. We were both on Auburn plus 4.5 on the road at Texas A&M. We were both on the Bengals minus 2.5 at home against the Browns. And we are both on the Cardinals minus 1.5 on the road at the 49ers. You are taking your boys to covers plus 7.5 against the Chiefs. That is your pick and upset special. I will take Wake Forest plus 2.5 in the final college game. You are going North Carolina, the basketball school, at home minus 2.5. Joe D., I promise, I, I do promise, the next time we have you on will be a celebratory Packers mood. I doubt I owe you. I owe you that big time here.
2: Uh, no, you know what? I'm going to get a text on Sunday after the Packers <laughs> win. Do the, should they trade him? How quick should they trade Aaron Rodgers?
1: Carson Wentz for Aaron Rodgers. Who says no? You get a backup quarterback for, for Jordan Love. Similar play styles. I'll take Aaron Rodgers, oh, the distraction I'm off to leave your hands. Studio here. After that <laughs> <laughs> oh man, I'll tell you that—that's for sure. Yeah, if if, if Jordan Love plays well, I might start looking at Jordan Love. That's for or uh, or Aaron Rodgers. That's for sure. Get my hopes up. Well, Joe, best of luck on Sunday. It'll be a lot of fun to watch. Everyone will be watching for sure. We appreciate the time, man.
2: Ryan, always, pro- always a pleasure.
1: And he always professional, and we appreciate him being a great sport. That is Joe Deluiseo. When we return here. The Browns have issues with Odell Beckham Jr. Should they just say forget it and cut him at this point? And if they do cut him, what team should be interested in signing OBJ? I tell you that when the Ryan Hickey Show does return, right here on the Worldwide Sports Radio
0: Network. It is it, the Worldwide Sports Radio Network. Radio, Network. Radio Network. Welcome back to the Ryan Hickey Show. Right here on the Worldwide Sports Radio Network.
1: More time. And welcome back into the Ryan Hickey Show with you. Where else? The Worldwide Sports Radio Network. We appreciate Joe Deloicio, host of the Sharp Cheddar podcast, a big time Packers fan, for joining us on the show here, giving his thoughts about Jordan Love, about giving his thoughts on Aaron Rodgers' future, and making some picks as well. We'll put those picks out on social media. Joe, very confident in his squad playing tight against the Chiefs and maybe even winning. 10 minute or 10 minutes, 5 minutes from now. We are basically rough math here. Right? We're in week 9, the season 17's uh 17 games, so we're going to, you know, it's it's the halfway point. Right? Don't don't get technical with me here. Midway through the year, so we're going to do some mid-season awards. MVP, coach of the year. Who's on the surprise hot seat? Biggest surprise of the year, and also biggest disappointment. A lot of awards to hand out at the midway point of the year. We'll do that in five minutes from now. Before we get there, though, a lot of drama surrounding the Browns, a lot of drama surrounding Odell Beckham Jr. Trade speculation, would he end up getting traded? We know that did not happen. But I do think, even though Odell Beckham Jr. was not traded, we have seen the last of OBJ in a Browns uniform. Yesterday kind of really kind of put the final nail in the coffin. As you know, Odell Beckham Jr.'s dad puts out a video, an 11-minute video, by the way, highlighting Baker Mayfield basically ignoring his son on purpose, even through uh, in a few misthrows uh, from Baker trying to hit a wide-open OBJ. That went viral. Baker uh, Baker responded basically saying he's not worried about it. He'll still welcome Odell Jr. back. But before practice started yesterday, they, the Browns sent OBJ home, and now OBJ's agent, Andrew Barry, the general manager of the Browns, basically talking about the future, it seems, well, nothing officially has come down yet, it is all but guaranteed OBJ's time and Cleveland has come to an end. They absolutely should cut him. There's no point anymore to keeping him on the team to try to get any sort of trade value. He is one big distraction. And right now with the Browns, they are reeling. They're 4-4 four and four coming off a bad loss to the Steelers, in which the offense looked horrible. Baker Mayfield is dealing with a shoulder injury that won't get any better. So, you have a lot going on. And you have to deal with the rest of the season. The last thing I think the Browns need is another distraction where Odo Beckham Jr. is complaining, or his dad is publicly complaining, I should say at least, that he is not getting the ball enough, that Baker Mayfield is purposely ignoring him. You don't need that. You don't need to deal with that. And frankly, OBJ at this point in his career is not good enough to deal with that headache anymore. He's been injured, he hasn't really been productive since he's become a member of the Browns. It's not worth the headache. Coincidence or not, the Browns' offense last year was better once he got hurt. And he's been hurt again this year with a shoulder. So look, I, I get he's a very talented player still, and there's still some potential there. So it stinks to cut a guy with still you know, a lot of talent. But at this point, with where the Browns are just in last place in the AFC North, team coming in with Super Bowl expectations, you got to just cut your loss at this point. Cut them. Let him go somewhere else. Don't have me a distraction. Don't even keep him on paid leave. Like don't suspend him for the rest of the year. Don't keep him at home. That I don't think that really does much. I still think there'll still be distractions. There'll still be complaints. Cut your losses, cut him and move on. I think the Browns should cut him. I think the Browns will cut him. So if that happens, where should OBJ go? He's going to get picked up. He's not going to just you know sit out the rest of the season. A team will pick him up. I think there is one team that makes the most sense here for. For OBJ, it makes sense for him to go there, and it makes sense for this team to pick him up. That is the Las Vegas Raiders. Now, let's call for what it is, right? Obviously, this week, tragic news. Their young receiver, Henry Ruggs, uh, drove drunk, drove at extremely high speeds, rear-ended a car. Unfortunately, the car, he rear-ended the person, and their uh, dog died. So we send our thoughts and prayers to that family. That's an awful, awful loss and tragic news. From a football-specific perspective, the Raiders released Henry Ruggs. He's not on the team anymore. He will never be on the Raiders ever again. That's a void. If you just look at the football aspect, that is now a team that's 5-2 and two without a good receiver. So now you bring an OBJ, it's a low-risk reward because you're not going to pay him a big-time contract. You're going to give him probably a deal just to finish out the rest of the year. Derek Carr's had a tremendous season airing the ball out. The Raiders are number two in the NFL in terms of passing yards per game. So they're throwing the ball. They're throwing the ball deep. OBJ likes to run, you know, run deep, have some big explosive plays. The Raiders are a playoff contender. And their current now number one receiver, receiver, is Hunter Renfro. I know their number one target is going to be Darren Waller, their tight end. But in terms of actual playing the receiver position, really, I mean, it's not Zay Jones. It's going to be Hunter Renfro. No offense on run for him. See, number one, no. He's a good security blanket. So I think for the Raiders, it makes a lot of sense for them to pursue Otto Beckham Jr. if he's released. That should be a guy they should be interested in. It's a very low risk, I think, higher reward for Las Vegas. Two other teams I think should and could have an interest. How about the Patriots? OBJ throughout his entire career has always had reverence for always had a ton of respect for Bill Belichick, the Patriots, and the Patriot way. Bill would keep in line. There's been a lot of drama, but as we know, Bill is good at handling, and his kind of forte over the last two decades of the Patriots has been handling problems in the locker room, has been handling guys with a ton of talent, but also that kind of you you know tend to be their own worst enemy. He has turned those guys into team guys. He has made them, for the most part, pretty legitimate um, contributors without a ton of headaches. And you look at the Patriots' skill or skill players, tight ends, running backs, they're not very good. You give Mac Jones a true number one weapon here when healthy, which again is a huge question. We don't know if OBJ will be healthy the rest of the year. But at least you give them a threat now. You give defense someone else to look at, which could open up the offense in other areas. And the final team, I think the Ravens. Like the Ravens are always kind of looking for that game-breaking wide receiver. They've they have been cautious about who they pursue. Some guys have swung and missed. Rashad Bateman is, you know, a guy they drafted, but he's been injured, and now he's trying to, you know, starting to get his legs back. Marquise Hallow Brown has had issues with drops. It's a very low risk situation for the Ravens. You bring him in. Maybe you get a little revenge and OBJ's upset about how the Browns tenure ended and now going to a division rival that can maybe only fuel him to more focus on football than ever. It's a guy that, you know, again, is a game-breaking receiver when healthy. Now, he hasn't been healthy for a while and he hasn't really been a game-breaker for a while, but there's still some potential there that you hope you can tap out of. And it's another threat that even if he's not producing at his old school, you know, old Giants, even his first year at the Browns where he ran for over 1,000 yards, even if he's not that receiver again, the threat can open up the passing game a little more, open up the running game a little more, and make that offense, again, a little bit more dangerous, give you something else to think about. So I think the Ravens and the Patriots are two teams that absolutely should be in you know in the uh, market to sign OBJ. I think the perfect team for him is the Raiders. I do. The Raiders are absolutely the perfect team for him, and that's, again, assuming he gets cut. I think he should get cut. I think he will get cut by the Browns. I think we've seen the last of Odell Beckham Jr. in a Cleveland Browns uniform when we return here on the Ryan Hickey show our number two we got to give out some awards we got to start giving out some awards to teams and players who've earned it who has been the mid-season MVP how about the midseason rookie of the year or rookie of the midseason coach of the year biggest disappointment who's the best team in the NFL right now a lot of awards to give out and we will get them out next when we return right here on the Ryan Hickey Show on the Worldwide Sports Radio Network.
0: It is it, the World Wide Sports Radio Network. Radio, Network. Radio Network. Welcome back to the Ryan Hickey Show, right here on the World Wide Sports Radio Network.
1: And welcome back in to the Ryan Hickey Show, right here, only on the Worldwide Sports Radio Network. Our number two is brought to you by L C Designs. charcuterie boards. They are perfect for all occasions. So make sure your guests are happily fed with some aesthetically pleasing and delicious charcuterie boards made by Lauren Clark. Make sure you check out L C designs, NYC.com that is L C designs, NYC.com for more information. We are eight, games, seven games, depending on if your team had a bye or not so far, through the NFL season, basically the halfway point. So let's give out some damn awards. Who have been the most impressive teams and players so far? Who have disappointed? We are halfway through the year, so let's give out some mid-season awards. Who has been the mid-season MVP so far this year? I would go Lamar Jackson. I would go Lamar Jackson. He, so far for the Ravens, has been the entire team. Right, they're 5-2 and two so far this year, and that's without any sort of good running back behind them. They were a run-first, run-second, run-thirteenth. So even though for most teams, running backs are interchangeable, for the Ravens, they sort of are, but they still need good running backs to get the offense rolling. No J.K. Dobbins, we know, uh, out with an ACL injury uh, in the preseason. No Gus Edwards, their number two running back. Same thing, out early in the preseason. They have really been devastated by injuries. So despite the fact that they are having Le'Veon Bell, Devontae Freeman, and Latavius Murray off the scrap heap and being their top three running backs, the Ravens are still playing well. And they're doing so because Lamar Jackson is having, so far, a great season in the passing game. The Ravens are 10th in the NFL in terms of passing yards per game, 277 yards per game. Lamar Jackson has one games with his arm, when they beat the Colts. Threw the ball pretty well against the Chargers. Big comeback win over the Chiefs. Lamar Jackson has done it all so far for the Ravens, and I don't know where this team would be if it wasn't for Lamar. So they're 5-2. and two. They are playing better than I could have thought, especially with all the injuries that they suffered in the preseason. They, to me, or, or Lamar, I should say, to me, is the MVP of the league so far because of what he has done in, all in the running game and the passing game he has been great at in terms of giving the Ravens a chance to succeed. They are winning games because of Lamar Jackson. The defense is not very good either, by the way. That secondary is getting exposed of late. Whether it was with the Bengals two weeks ago, whether it was with the Colts before that Monday Night Football, this defense is not very good. And Lamar is still, again, being a big reason why they are winning games, being the reason why they're winning games. Mid-season MVP, Lamar Jackson. How about rookie of the mid-season so far? I was down to two names. Micah Parsons for the Cowboys, because he has come in and really transformed that defense and and been a reason why they have gone from the worst defense in the NFL to pretty good. Pretty good. Him and Dan Quinn have been the two differences so far that have really turned this Cowboys team around. But I did not go with Micah Parsons. Here's my runner-up. Instead, the rookie of the midseason is Bengals receiver Jamar Chase, because he's been by far the most dominant rookie in the NFL. He's not only third when it comes to rookies in receiving yards. He is third in the NFL. 786 yards so far for Jamar Chase through eight games. Through seven games before last week, he had the most receiving yards of any player through his first seven games in NFL history. Think about that. He made history having the most receiving yards through his first seven career games of any receiver, of any player in the NFL history, more than Randy Moss, more than Michael Irvin, more than Jerry Rice, any legendary receiver you can name. Jamar Chase has them beat. So he's gone off to a tremendous start, seven touchdown catches. He is number one in the NFL in terms of you know, starting full-time player receiver in terms of yards per catch. He's averaging 20.7 yards per catch He's been a big play machine. And his addition really has helped open up this Bengals offense. Takes pressure off of Joe Burrow. Even helps the offensive line block better because they're not getting the, you know, Joe's getting the ball out quicker. He's feeling confident where he's going. And now the defenses have to respect Jamar Chase and his big playability. You're blitzing less. You're rushing less. And now that has opened up more time for Joe Burrow. It's opened up other lanes for Tyler Boyd, for T. Higgins. Jamar Chase has really kind of unlocked this Bengals offense, and it's really taken it to another level. So Jamar Chase, even though he's just a rookie, he played eight games. Right now, the rookie of the midseason. Congrats to you, Jamar. Tremendous season. We'll stick with the Bengals, because the coach of the midseason, Mark, I think has to be Zach Taylor. Coming into this year, I thought, you know, I was basically writing Zach Taylor off as he's going to be fired. He's going to be one of the first coaches fired at the end of the year. Didn't do really anything that inspired you so far through the first two years, and I thought really the 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 way he was calling offenses last year indirectly led to Joe Burrow tearing his ACL. Joe Burrow averaged the most passing attempts per game last year of any quarterback in the NFL. He averaged forty attempts, just over forty attempts per game last year. Again, number one in the NFL. So they were throwing, 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 despite the fact that they really couldn't block for him at the offensive line and had no real semblance of a good running game. I thought that was a dangerous way to go about treating your franchise quarterback, like keeping him behind a very shaky, at best, offensive line, and having him throw the ball with his right arm 40 times a game. So I really thought, all right, Zach Taylor gonna be one of the first ones out, and that's gonna be in a very attractive job with his offense with Joe Burrow. That's gonna be one Brian Dayball, that's gonna be one Eric Bieniemy jump at. It. That's gonna be one of the best jobs. Zach Taylor said, screw it. I'm not getting fired, no one's taking my job. He has done a great job so far. opening up this offense again, throwing the ball while also giving Joe Burrow um, some protection. The run game has you know gotten a little bit better. There's balance in the offense, and they've had good wins. They blew out the Ravens two weeks ago on the road. I get they had the stinker last week against the Jets. They beat the Steelers on the road earlier on in the year. They went toe to toe with the Packers. This is a good team. They are playing really tough, and so far through eight weeks, the only the only real bad game they had was last week against the Jets. Zach Taylor has done a tremendous job so far through this season. That's why, for me, he is the coach of the midseason. How about coach on the surprise hot seat? Coming in, there wasn't a lot of noise. There wasn't a lot of thought. And now halfway through the year, that person's job is in jeopardy. I think it's Joe Judge. I think it's Giants head coach Joe Judge. The team has regressed in year number two. And there's honestly a lot of coaching errors to blame for that. I know injuries have decimated the Giants' expression offense. Saquon Barkley, Kenny Galladay, Sterling Shepard, Darius Slayton. I can basically go up and down the list. Every single big-time Giants player in offense, the offensive line, has been banged up, has been injured. So there there are injury issues to blame for the lack of success so far with the Giants. With that said, though, there are also a lot of coaching mistakes, a lot of coaching blunders that have put the Giants in this 2-6 and six hole that they're in. There has been bad timeout usage all throughout the season by Joe Josh. He's challenging touchdowns where you can't use the coach's challenge, and he's losing timeouts because they know the rules. He's blaming headset issues every single game, despite the fact that whether it's home or on the road, he's having headset issues, and no one else is apparently. But hey, apparently it's the NFL's problem, not his. There is some, frankly, cowardly coaching going on where they're kicking field goals late or deep in the red zone. They are not going forward on fourth and short they're basically playing a very conservative style of offense. That's also led by Jason Garrett. Some bad play, calling, And they have undisciplined play. Joe Judge can talk about running laps, can talk about holding his team accountable and not fighting and having, you know, punitive actions that we would see in high school. Updowns, gassers, you name it. He doesn't want issues. He doesn't want mistakes. Well, the issue is for Joe is that the Giants are one of the most undisciplined teams in the league. They have the eighth most penalties in the NFL. We saw a play out on Monday night. They have a lot of stupid penalties. Both just not smart football, some undisciplined football. To where Joe can talk and preach accountability. He can talk about holding his guys accountable and playing to a certain standard where you're not going to beat yourselves. But every single week, the Giants are beating themselves. That goes back to coaching. That goes to either you're not coaching the guys properly, or even worse, the guys are tuning you out. They're not listening. It's been the same issues for the Giants week in and week out. Joe Judge, even though it's year two, he's on the real hot seat. If this doesn't turn around, I think Joe Judge should and would get fired. I think absolutely that's going to be here. So a surprise hot seat midway through the year where I did not expect to have this guy's job on the line, I think it's Giants head coach Joe Judge. The biggest surprise this season, positive or negative, is... Three has to be the Chiefs. Make a surprise it has to be the Chiefs and their struggles. They're four and four. But their lack of adjustments they've made this year to me is puzzling. That's something Andy Reid and Patrick Holmes have been, you know, on fire with since 2018. Adjusting on the fly, knowing what defenses are doing, and then kind of getting out ahead of how they can adjust to that. Defenses want to the blitz, they'll throw it off short, and they have answers. It feels like everything the defense has been doing except this year. Every defense this year has basically played the same sort of prevent defense. Drop seven, eight, nine guys back. Basically, don't allow Tyreek Hill to take the top off the defense. Double cover uh, Travis Kelsey underneath. They're only rushing three or four players. They rarely blitz. With that said, Patrick Holmes and Andy Reid still can't figure it out. They still don't know how to adjust to what defense are doing to them. And that is strange. Watching the Chiefs kind of feels like we're watching the definition of insanity play out in front of us. They keep on trying to do the same plays over and over and over again. They keep on trying to look for Terry Kelly deep. They keep on trying to look for Travis Kelsey over the middle. Teams consistently take those options away, and the Chiefs so far don't have an answer. I think like they're banging their head against the wall, expecting something to change, and so far it hasn't. That to me is the biggest surprise so far in the NFL has been the Chiefs. Four and four. Even in wins recently, they don't even look good. They're still struggling. Patrick Holmes has turned the ball over a ton. He feels like he's forcing it. He's pressing. The defense has not been very good. It's a mess right now in Kansas City. Absolutely has to be the biggest surprise so far halfway through the year. The biggest disappointment in the NFL to me is absolutely the Miami Dolphins. I came into the year, I came in thinking they were a playoff team. They went 10-6 last year, did not have a ton of talent. Now in year number two, with Tua being fully healthy, having a year entrenched as being the full-time starter. He's not going back and forth with Ryan Fitzpatrick. He's not starting the year off as the backup quarterback. Now he's more comfortable in the offense. He knows the plays. Even though there's new offense coordinators, he's still kind of familiar with how the offense is. They added uh, Jalen Waddle in the draft. They got Will Fuller in free agency. They added weapons to the offense to make it a little bit better. I really thought year two was going to be a big takeoff year for Tua and I thought year uh, number three in the Brian Flores system was going to be a year where they made the playoffs. I could have it more wrong. They won the first game in New England. I thought that was a sign of good things to come. Instead, they have now lost seven games in a row. One in seven. It's been a total dumpster fire. This defense has been extremely bad. They put a lot of resources, a lot of money to the secondary. They're one of the worst pass defenses in all of football. They can't stop a nosebleed. Offensively, I think they've mishandled, mishandled and kind of botched this entire Tua Tungvalo situation. Plays eh, okay in week number one. Gets hurt in week two in the second drive against the Bills. He misses three games. The offense goes to the toilet, which Cody Brissett, understand they can't block for him. And then when Tua comes back, all of a sudden now they're back in on, or reportedly back in on Deshaun Watson trade rumors. And you have that hanging over Tua Tungvalo. It's heading every single week, it feels like. Brian Flores telling Tua's is our guy. Two is your quarterback. We like two. We're happy with our quarterback situation. But when you say that every single week and you have to reaffirm that two is your quarterback every single week, it just begs the question, do you even care about this guy? Do you even believe in him? I think two is gone after this year. I do. I think whether it's Aaron Rodgers, whether it's Deshaun Watson, whether it's Russell Wilson, whether it's another quarterback, I think the, the fish, the dolphins, shouldn't call them the fish. I apologize. They're, dolphins are a mammal. I should know that. I love animals. I think the dolphins, the mammals, are going elsewhere for their quarterback situation, but I think they totally botched two of the chicks. I think two is still a good quarterback. Biggest disappointment going from playoff team now to top five draft pick in the draft, and they gave that pick away to the Eagles, so they won't even be you know reaping the rewards of a bad season. Has to be the Miami Dolphins, and the best team in the NFL. The midway point of the NFL, who right now is the top dog in the league. I'm going to go to the Rams. The loss and just Rams to me are the best team in the NFL. This is a team hitting on all cylinders. I know they lost and lost at home hand to the Cardinals early this, week, uh, early this year. But outside of that game, they've been dominant. They have played well in almost every single game really outside maybe the Lions. When the Lions threw literally the kitchen sink at them with fake field goals, with punts, fake punts, going front and forth down on kicks. Dan Campbell took every single trick play he possibly could find to throw it at the Rams. And they still lost the game. Outside of that game, they've been blowing every team out. They played really well. Matthew Stafford. I mean, look, I'll say this: I picked the Rams before the season. Once you know, once they really got Matthew Stafford, this is a Super Bowl team. They have played like it. Sean McVay is quickly reminding everyone that it was Jared Goff that was the issue, not Sean McVay. There were some doubts. There were some questions: Is Sean McVay really the genius that we thought he's been figured out? That answer is absolutely not. This offense is unbelievable. Cooper Cup is the number one target for Matthew Stafford in this Rams offense. He's the best receiver in the NFL this year because even though every team knows the ball is going to Cooper Cup, they can't stop him. He's a machine. And now defense, it's been a very good defense, very talented defense. You had Von Miller, which is the Von Miller of old? Absolutely not. Is he the Von Miller that won the Super Bowl MVP back at Super Bowl 50? He is not. But now you put him on the outside with Aaron Donald in the middle, he can still get after the quarterback. He becomes even better now because he has a great defensive line that's going to open up you know, one-on-one pass uh, pass rush opportunities. Van Mullen thinks he's going to have a lot of success in LA, in part because the team around him is so talented. So for me, the best team halfway through the year, the Los Angeles Rams. So I'm curious your thoughts here. I gave my midseason awards. How about you? Who is the league MVP so far through the season? I said Lamar Jackson. What's your thought? Is its it... Is it Matthew Stafford, a guy who's been tremendous. Is it Aaron Rodgers? Tom Brady? Who is your midseason MVP of the NFL? Love to get your thoughts. Facebook, Worldwide Sports Network. Twitter, WWSRN underscore radio. add Ryan Hickey Show on Twitter as well. When we return here on the Ryan Hickey Show, we got to get into the college football playoff rankings. I've been a proponent. I've been pounding the table for 12 teams. If you have not been a proponent for twelve teams, if you like the college football playoff format the way it is right now with four, I think your argument was weakened. But what the committee did on Tuesday night with their first batch of rankings, I'll explain why next. It is the Ryan Hickey Show right here on the Worldwide Sports Radio Network.
0: It is it, the Worldwide Sports Radio Network. Radio, Network. Radio, Network. Radio Network. Welcome back to the Ryan Hickey Show, right here on the Worldwide Sports Radio Network.
1: Welcome back in to the Ryan Hickey Show on the Worldwide Sports Radio Network. The college football playoff committee rankings were finally revealed, right? We got nine nine weeks through of college football, seven or eight games depending on, you know, how many your team has played and when the bye week was. So a very good sample size so far. And I was very excited to see the first initial cultural playoff rankings. Because, again, this is the first rankings where the committee takes the entire year into perspective, right? They don't put their rankings out till November. So you get a good-sized database of eight or nine games to make your decisions, make your conclusions about whether a team is good or bad. And I was very excited to see where a few teams are ranked. And I'll be honest here. After that, what I thought was just atrocious and embarrassment of a, a rankings by the committee, it's time. It is absolutely time. A 12-team playoff, I think, was made stronger. The push for a 12-team playoff was made stronger by the joke of a first set of rankings that were put out there on Tuesday night. Because for me, when it comes to college football, when it comes to any sport, the, the teams that make the playoff, specifically in college football, the teams that make the college playoff, um, college, college playoff, it should be determined on the field, right? That's why you watch the games. The teams that win should get rewarded. The teams that lose should be penalized. But the issue is right now, the committee is too subjective, and I don't think that their rankings reflect what we have seen on the field. The teams making the playoff right now should not be, you know, be made in a boardroom. It should be obvious about what you see in the field. And right now, to me, I think there's too much um, or not enough objectivity here, and I don't agree with the rankings and how they've been. I don't think they reflect what we have seen with our own eyes so far through nine weeks of the college football uh, season. So a 12 team playoff expanding the playoff helps to remove some of the committee's power in order to allow the most deserving teams in. That to me is the biggest issue. That's the reason why a 12 team playoff is the best. You allow the most deserving teams in. you take away some of the committee's power because now you'll, they only get to choose four by choosing 12 again less teams get screwed because there's no so far when you see this first set of rankings there is no better example of subjectivity hurting the sport of college football better than how you see the rankings two through six how the committee decided who is the second best team through who's the sixth best team yeah i know you've seen it but just to reiterate, just to rehash alabama right Georgia's number one that's not even a debate that is the right thing they should do it's no question Georgia's one but okay number two is alabama Number three, Michigan State. Number four is Oregon. Five, Ohio State. Six, Cincinnati. Biggest issue I have, I think the, the most egregious rankings of all the committee made, was Cincinnati at number six. Undefeated, 8-0 Cincinnati. The Bearcats, absolutely without a doubt, should be in the top four of this first batch of rankings. It's not even a question or debate. They have done everything that they have been asked to do. And the only thing that's getting them penalized right now, the only reason why they're not in the top four, is because of their name, Cincinnati. It's because of their conference, the AAC. So the fact that they played non-conference games, they are getting penalized because of their name, Cincinnati. So they're going to miss the playoff. Cincinnati season is over. I know they're number six. They need basically hell to freeze over in order to make the playoff. So they're not going despite the fact they've done everything they've been asked to do so far, they are not going to the playoff. And I'm sorry, that is not what college football is about. You cannot penalize teams in the past for strength of schedule or, or they don't play anybody. And then you have a team like Cincinnati playing teams, winning those games, and then you're saying, ah, oh, you know what, that, that, there's a double standard here. We're still not going to let you in. That is not what college football is about. The committee, I'm sorry, they have screwed this up royally. If you don't believe me, I want to give you some proof. Let's break it down quickly here. The college football playoff chairman is Iowa AD Gary Barta. Right after the ranking show, he does a little Q&A with Reese Davis on ESPN. Well, Reese asked the hot button question, why is Cincinnati six? Here was Gary Barta, the college football playoff committee chairman, explaining why the committee put Cincinnati all the way down at six. I would say the committee has great respect For Cincinnati the win at Notre Dame Notre Dame clearly at Notre Dame is a a really impressive win Uh, when you look at their their schedule after that or who they played after that uh, who else did they beat and so that was the other question and you know the committee has been watching games all year and and uh, most recently in in the last two weeks uh, a a two and six Navy team and then a one and seven Tulane team with a a freshman quarterback starting so uh, very impressive win against Notre Dame a lot of respect uh, but looking at the whole picture, we feel six is the right place for Cincinnati. Okay, so let's get into, let's break that down really quickly here. Gary Barda is basically saying, you know, a, a few reasons why, despite the fact that having a win at top 10 Notre Dame, winning by 11 points, still wasn't enough to put them in the top four. They, they reference a few things that penalize Cincinnati in their mind. Here's the issue. Cincinnati's the only team getting penalized for the standards Gary Barta is setting. It's a double standard. There should not be a double standard. There is, and it's wrong. Because let's break it down. The first thing Gary Barter said, right? He, we have great respect for, for Cincinnati. They beat Notre Dame, impressive win. But the first thing he said was, who else have they beaten? Fair question. Cincinnati beat Notre Dame, they really haven't beat anyone else. The best win outside of Notre Dame, I mean, maybe Indiana? And Indiana's not very good. UCF? So, okay, the, the point is we're reaching here for a good number two, you know, quality number two win. Here's the issue, though, with Gary Barter's logic is that every other team he has ranked in front of them, Alabama, Michigan State, Oregon, and Ohio State, you can ask the same question about. They all have one good win, but none of them have a good second win. Alabama beat all miss. They beat the Breaks off Ole Miss, who was undefeated coming into that game. That's a a very solid win for Nick Saban. Who was Alabama's second best win? Miami? Tennessee? Mississippi State? There's no real good second win on Alabama's resume. They beat Ole Miss. Absolutely congrats. There's nothing behind there to really back it up. Michigan State. They just had the most recent big-time win over number 6 Michigan at home. Who is Michigan State's second biggest win behind Michigan? Miami? Indiana? Northwestern? Like, like, who is it? The point is there is none. They beat Michigan State. They haven't beat any. They beat Michigan. Excuse me. They haven't beat anyone else. Oregon. They beat Ohio State, as we know, back in week two. A tremendous win on the road. A great win for Oregon. Who else have they beaten? UCLA? Cal? Fresno State? Ohio State doesn't even have one good win. Cincinnati, Alabama, Michigan, and Oregon all have one impressive top 25, top 15, top 10 victory. Ohio State doesn't have one. The best win for Ohio State is either against a Minnesota team that was gashing the Buckeyes and lost their best running back midway through the second half and currently ranked 20, even though they lost at home to Bowling Green this season, or it's against an unranked Penn State team that lost their third game in a row on Saturday and they won by nine. So either it's number 20 Minnesota who lost it over to Bowling Green or it's unranked Penn State. That is Ohio State's best win. So Gary Barter's sitting here telling you Cincinnati is a great win over number 10 Notre Dame on the road, an press win, but who else have they beaten? The, the issue, Gary, is nobody else ahead of Cincinnati has beaten anyone either. Everyone right now has one great win. No team has two really good wins. So you're penalizing Cincinnati for not having a second impressive victory, despite the fact that everyone in front of them, two through five, has, doesn't have a second impressive victory either. So there's a double standard right away for Cincinnati in terms of they haven't beaten anyone else outside of Notre Dame. Well, guess what? Neither has Ohio, Alabama, neither has Oregon, Michigan State, or Ohio State. And Ohio State hasn't really even beaten one good team, let alone two. That wasn't the only thing, though, Gary Barter said. The the college football playoff chairman, speaking on behalf of the committee, and basically speaking of why the committee decided to put Cincinnati number six. So they haven't beaten anyone else outside of Notre Dame, despite the fact that no one else in front of them has beaten another team outside of their one good win. Okay. Well, he also said that Cincinnati played some close games. right? He referenced Tulane playing a freshman quarterback, and he referenced two and six Navy, where Cincinnati won by one score. Those are two games that were close and two games that, you know what, Cincinnati should have blown them out and they didn't. Okay, Cincinnati played bad. Hand up. I can't defend that. They did not play well in either of those two games. But again, I hate to tell the committee, but they say they watch college football, but do they really? Because again, every other team in front of Cincinnati has also had close calls. Alabama, the number two team in the country, they lost as an 18-and-a-half-point favorite on the road at Texas A&M. 18-and-a-half-point favorite. A&M was unranked. They've lost two, the Aggies lost two games in a row coming into that game. Nobody in their right mind thought Alabama would even you know, have this game be a close one, let them lose. So there were two teams in the country lost to an unranked team they were 18-and-a-half-point favorites against. Then, you know, earlier in the year, Won by just two points, held on to barely beat Florida, who currently right now is unranked. They lost to LSU, they lost to Kentucky. The Gators did. They lost to Georgia. But on the road earlier this year, the the Alabama uh, defense needed to stop a two point conversion from Florida that would have put the game to overtime. And when they played Tennessee a few weeks later, that was a close game for three quarters. I know the the final score, you know, looks like uh, Alabama blew out. Wasn't even close. That game was a one. Touchdown game early in the fourth quarter. That's a close game. Alabama has played close games this year. Michigan State went to overtime with Nebraska, almost lost that game, maybe should have lost that game. They had a very close call against the Cornhuskers. They beat Indiana on the road by five, a bad Indiana team. Close game 2015. Guess what? Cincinnati also played Indiana on the road, and the Bearcats won by 14. So you're criticizing Cincinnati for playing close games against Navy and Tulane. Alabama lost to an unranked AM team, had close games against Florida and Tennessee. Michigan State almost lost to Nebraska, went overtime with them, and then beat Indiana by a smaller margin than Cincinnati beat Indiana. Oregon, number four in the country, they lost to a 3 and 5 Stanford team. Controversial penalty call or not, they lost in overtime to a 3-5 and five Stanford team. Then a few weeks later, they followed that up by barely beating a Cal team at home that was 1-4 at the time. When that lost, they were 1-5. They needed a goal-line stand in the fourth quarter just to walk away from that game unscathed. And then, they go needed a comeback because they're down in a 14-0 hole against unranked UCLA on the road a few weeks later. Oregon has had their fair share of close calls as well. And Ohio State, Ohio State lost to Oregon. Ohio State the following week had a close game for three and a half quarters against Tulsa. Again, the final score for Cincinnati was 31-12 over Tulane. It seems like a blow, but for three quarters, the game is close. Well, for three quarters, Tennessee and Alabama were very close before that game turned into a blow in the fourth quarter. And for three and a half quarters, Tulsa and Ohio State were neck and neck. Tulsa! Don't you know, Again, let's look at last week with Penn State, unranked Penn State now. They push them to the brink. That's a one-score game for the entirety of the game. Penn State eventually did end up losing by nine, but that was a very close game. So the fact that Gary Barter, the college football playoff chairman, is pointing at Cincinnati, telling them they played too many close games against bad opponents like Navy and Tulane, while turning a blind eye to Alabama playing close games, losing one they shouldn't. Michigan State playing close games against you know similar competition to Cincinnati. Oregon playing close games and losing one, and Ohio State playing close games and losing one. And Cincinnati has played two close games, blown to everyone else. Beat number ten Notre Dame. Oh yeah, by the way, they're eight and zero, undefeated without a loss. The fact that the college football playoff system is subjective. The fact that it's a double standard, is bad for college football. It's a joke. It's an absolute joke. So if you have right now an 8-0 Cincinnati team with a road win over number 10 Notre Dame, which they won by double digits, they've blown out every team on their schedule outside of Navy and Tulane, beat another Power 5 opponent on the road in Indiana by two touchdowns, and they virtually have no shot of making the playoff. How is that fair? How is that a system we can believe in? How can you watch a sport every Saturday where they tell you the games matter, where they tell you it's the most important regular season in all sports, and it is, but at the same time, then you go watch on Tuesday, and then you see the cultural playoff committee rewarding some teams, penalizing other teams, and basically kind of having their own sort of subjectiveness fall into the rankings to where some teams' uh, games matter, others don't. There are exceptions made for some teams, and others are penalized, even though there's double standard. It's not just Cincinnati, but there's other teams as well. It's ridiculous. You basically have to be in an elite club. And once you're in that elite club, losses are forgiven. And if you're outside the club, losses doom you. Even if you don't have a loss, if you don't win by enough points, you're screwed. So if you're in the elite club, you're good doesn't really matter the games almost don't matter you'll be rewarded you know being in the top 10 every single week if you're not you have to bend over backwards do everything you're asked to do and then still don't have a shot i get any playoff system in college football won't be perfect right there's too many teams 130 teams in division one the schedules there's so many disparities when it comes to teams when it comes to conferences when it comes to revenue i get that you can't look at Akron and Alabama, even though they're in technically the same you know, Division One, and they're both eligible to compete for the cultural playoff, I understand that you will never get a situation where Akron will be on the same level as Alabama. Fine. But for the most part, the fact that there's so much subjectiveness early on is hurting the sport at the top. So going to 12 teams, again, it still would not be perfect. Team 13 and 14 would still be upset. I get it. But the gap, you know, for me, there's less to be mad at if you're Team 13 than if you're Team 5. You're a really damn good team at Team 5. Team 13, okay, there's other, you know, bumps along the road that they could have avoided to get into a top 12 spot, and they didn't. So going to 12, I think, helps eliminate some of the subjectiveness that we are seeing right now that I think is hurting the sport. Cincinnati is, I think, the poster child for this, but it's not just them. There are plenty of other examples all throughout the rankings to where subjectiveness is hurting the sport, and it's ridiculous. They tell you they watch the games, but do they really? It's very frustrating. And it's all about the principle, and right now, the principle has been very disappointing. So I don't know about you. I am extremely frustrated by how these first set of rankings came out. I think it's an absolute embarrassment to college football. It's an absolute embarrassment to the college football playoff committee. Going to 12, I think it's the only answer. You got to take some of the power away from the committee. By doing that, is it by including more teams? I think 12 is the answer. I think the argument for 12 only got stronger after seeing the top six revealed on Tuesday night. So I'm curious your thoughts. What's on Facebook, Worldwide Sports Network, Twitter, WWSR, Ren, underscore, Radio, at Ryan Hickey Show on Twitter as well. Is it time for college football playoff expansion? Cincinnati is a team I kind of harped on to use as the example here. Do you think in your mind, are they deserving of being in the top four right now? I'm not asking you to predict the rest of the season. I'm just telling you right now, from what they've shown in the eight games that they played in the nine weeks of college football, just up to this point, have they shown you enough to be a top four team? My mind is absolutely, it's not even close. Committee says no. I'm curious your Thoughts here again. Facebook, Worldwide Sports Network, Twitter, at Ryan Hickey Show. WWSRN underscore Radio on Twitter as well. When we do return here, we'll finish up the show with the biggest news of the day. I come from yesterday, Aaron Rodgers is out on Sunday because of COVID. Jordan Love making his first career start. How much will Jordan Love's play, good or bad, impact the future of Aaron Rodgers? I think it's a lot. I'll explain why next. It's the Reineke Show right here on the Worldwide Sports Radio Network.
0: It, it, it's the Worldwide Sports Radio Network. Welcome back to the Ryan Hickey Show, right here on the Worldwide Sports Radio Network,
1: and welcome back into the Ryan Hickey Show on the Worldwide Sports Network as we wrap up here on a Thursday morning. Sunday, bloody Sunday, the perfect return because Sunday will be a joyous one in Packerland. It could be a disastrous one for the Packers. But either way, good or bad, I do think Sunday is going to have a massive impact on the future of Aaron Rodgers, whether he's a Packer for the rest of his career or whether he's playing for a new team in 2022. If Jordan Love lights it up, plays well, has success, shows you flashes of what he can be on Sunday, Aaron Rodgers is gone. Kiss him goodbye, Packers fans. You are not going to see Aaron Rodgers in Green Bay in 2022 and beyond. This will absolutely be his final year. If Jordan Loves struggles, if he looks lost, looks like a deer in the headlights uh, facing that bad, awful Kansas City Chiefs defense, I think all of a sudden now Brian Gutekunst, the GM, Mark Murphy, the Packers president, I think both of them start to reconsider Are we sure we want to rush Aaron Rodgers out of town? Are we sure we want to hang our reputation on Jordan Love and his future and kick out an all-time great quarterback who, oh yeah, by the way, still has a lot of good football left in that right arm? I think Sunday, good or bad, is going to determine the future of Aaron Rodgers, whether it's in Green Bay, whether it's elsewhere. This is very similar to me to the P. Cal, russell Wilson dynamic in Seattle. Pete Carroll did not really appreciate Russell Wilson. All of a sudden, Russell Wilson goes out of lineup. Pete gets a sneak peek of what life is like without Russ. All of a sudden, two games in, he's praising Russell Wilson. He's telling the media, if it wasn't for Russ, I'm not here as the head coach right now. I don't have all the success in Seattle if it's not for Russell Wilson. Pete Carroll's tune changed. How he viewed Russ changed very quickly once he realized what the other side of the fence looks like. We just have an all-time great quarterback making up and you know, plugging a lot of holes on the Seahawks team. I think the same thing can happen here for the Packers. They are ready to move on from Aaron Rodgers. They drafted Jordan Love with the intention of playing him sooner rather than later. I think with everything that happened in the offseason, this is going to be the final year for Aaron Rodgers in Green Bay. They are ready to move on to Jordan Love for 2022 and beyond. Well, now, instead of going to Jordan Love blindly, the Packers get one chance here to see what do we have? What is life like without Aaron Rodgers? It's just one game. It's a very small sample size. But it gives you a sliver of what to look at in the future. And if it's bad, if Jordan Love struggles, I think all of a sudden the Packers are like, eh, maybe second thought, maybe we'll punt the brakes on trying to run Aaron Rodgers out of town. And maybe we'll keep him longer. And maybe we'll trade Jordan Love. But on the flip side, Love plays well. For how scrutinized the pick was, for Brian good- uh, Gutekunst putting his neck on the line, trading up in the first round to draft Jordan Love, basically putting a timer on Aaron Rodgers' future. If Jordan Love plays well, there is no shot in hell Aaron Rodgers is back. Gutekunst is shipping him out. He is you know, holding out hope that, hey, even if the one game was good and Jordan Love's the rest of the career stinks, you can at least now the rest of the year, even if the Packers win the Super Bowl, You can hang your hat on if you're Brian Gutekunst. In the one game Jordan Love played, he looked good. This is why I envisioned the future to be, and the future is now. So I don't think there's anything Aaron Rodgers could do if Jordan Love plays well to keep his job and remain in Green Bay past 2021. That's why Sunday is so important. It is a very rare glimpse of the Packers to see their future before it is actually there. Jordan Love will have one game now, to play for what we believe, assuming Aaron Rodgers is back by next Sunday and out of the protocols, he'll have one game to show what he has. If it's positive, I think Brian could sitting there putting his feet up saying, I told you so. Listen to me now. I was right. But if it's bad, if Love looks lost, if he struggles, I think all of a sudden, Brian Gutekut's and Mark Murphy like, are we sure we want to put a reputation? Are we sure we can sell to the fan base that Jordan Love is the guy of the future. In the one game you played, he threw two or three picks. The Chiefs, you know, defense all of a sudden looked like the 1985 Bears defense. And we're going to really run Aaron Rodgers out of town? Are we sure we want to do that? 7-1 and one with Rodgers, again, after coming off the MVP year. Still looking good, still playing good. Are we sure we want to run this guy out of town? I think that's where the second guessing comes in. I think that's where all of a sudden the Packers start to realize, maybe we don't want to move on just yet. Maybe the grass isn't always greener than we thought. It worked from Favre to Rodgers, but maybe it won't work so well from Rodgers to Love. That's why I think Sunday's game is massively, massively important to the future of Aaron Rodgers, whether it's in Green Bay, whether it's somewhere else. It's going to be on how Love plays on Sunday. There is a game tonight. If you are watching the stream, we appreciate you. Kind of wearing my Colts shirt here, trying to bring them some good luck. It's been a rough year for the Colts at three and five. They are taking on the Mike White-led Jets. I think the Colts win tonight. I think the Colts win. I think Mike White comes back down to earth, and the Colts, at least for one week, keep their playoff hopes alive. And the division even with Derrick Henry going down is still over. It's still Tennessee's division. Now you just hope and pray the Colts. For me, selfishly, they are, that they can get into a wild card berth here. But I will say this, tonight could be a tipping point. The Colts lose to the Jets. Mike White balls out again. He could be the next Tom Brady. Congratulations. If the the Colts lose to the Jets, it's not only season overtime for Indy. It is, are we sure Carson Wentz is the guy? I sat here two weeks ago and told you, I think Carson Wentz has done enough so far for the Colts to trust that he's the guy. Well, throwing two picks at the end of the game is not exactly something I, I was ready for and envisioned. And now if you, on a short week, needing to beat the Jets to keep your season alive, basically have to run the table the rest of the way to have a shot against at least bad to average teams. You lose to the Jets. All of a sudden now, with that first-round pick possibly going to the Eagles, if Carson Wentz plays 75% of the snaps, if you're Indy, you got to start evaluating one, is Carson Wentz going to be our future quarterback? And two, whether he is or not, if you're to the playoff picture... You got to make sure that first round pick or that second round pick does not become a first for the Eagles. Carson Wentz, that first round pick is or the Colts, or the Eagles get a first round pick, excuse me. If Carson Wentz plays 70% of the snaps and goes and the Colts go to the playoffs, or he plays just 75% of the snaps in general. If the Colts are not going to make the playoffs, whether they want to bring Carson Wentz back next year or ready to move on, you cannot allow him to start 75% of the games. You got to bench him, if anything. Say, we're gonna, Carson, we're going to bench you. We want to bring you back next year, but we, we can't lose this first-round pick. That is the ultimate doomsday scenario. The Colts lose their first-round pick and miss the playoffs. Tonight, I think we'll go a long way in determining that future. You win, you keep your season alive, you keep the hopes alive, and you still play Carson Wentz. You lose. Now the future uh, and future decisions get start to get thought about right now. It's going to be fascinating, fascinating. Yeah, I do think the Colts win. And it will be an interesting one to see the ramifications if they lose. So that will do it for this edition of the Ryan Hickey Show on this Thursday. Appreciate Joe Delavisio for joining us here, giving his Packers thoughts and also Hickey's pickies. We'll get those picks up here in a little bit. We appreciate all of you for listening, for being a part of us, for, for making us here on the Ryan Hickey Show on the Worldwide Sports Network a part of your Thursday morning. So stay safe, stay sane. Big shout out to, by the way, my guy, Tyler Krolakowski, friend of the show has been on before, big Dolphins fan. He is running in the New York City Marathon on Sunday. Wish him a lot of luck. We'll be there to cheer him on. Tough, tough battle. Um, be very fun to see him and a great accomplishment for sure. So that will be a lot of fun. Good luck to my guy Krull. Have a great weekend. Enjoy. It. Stay safe, stay sane. We'll talk to him Monday. Where else? But the Worldwide Sports Radio Network.
0: It is it, the worldwide sports radio network.